Turn in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter three. Uh, we're gonna be looking at Matthew three again and looking at the, the message of John the Baptist uh, a little more closely this morning than we did last week. We're, uh, he's gonna get in a lot more details than he did uh, last week. So Matthew chapter three, beginning in verse seven, looking on to verse 12. And um, let's go ahead and read this together from the board. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he is, who is coming after me is mightier than me, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. When you think of the word repent, I know for me oftentimes, and I think a lot of us do, we tend to think of kind of the big sins that need to be repented of, the, the big cultural sins that we are often voting against when we go to the polls. Uh, maybe you're thinking of the guys that are in the prisons that need to be rehabilitated. After all, we don't even call them prisons anymore, do we? What do we call them? Penitentiaries, because the idea is to rehabilitate them. And maybe that's what you think of when you think of repentance. I don't know, maybe for some of us, maybe you think of that unruly kid that uh, you just kind of wish you would have an hour with or something like that. So, but that's, we tend to think of the big sins, we tend to think of the dredges of society. And yet, John, when he preaches our text today, the people that he is saying it to are the people who are considered the best in society. They are the religious leaders. They are the cream of the crop. They are considered to be the holiest of the holiest of the holiest. They are the ones that everybody looks up to to teach them how to know God. And yet they are the ones that needed to hear these words from John the Baptist. And I pray this morning that you and I will understand that you and I are also the ones who need to hear these words, that you and I are the ones who need to understand. And, and, and my goal this morning is to help us understand the danger of self-righteousness or presumption of religion and that we will discover that in our hearts wherever it is that we find it and we will repent of it so that we can have a greater relationship and a greater dependence upon Jesus Christ this morning, that's, that's my prayer for you this morning. That's my prayer for me as well, and us as a church. Last week, we looked at John, uh, the context of, of what's going on here, and he kind of, Matthew kind of gave us a summary of his message, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, and we talked about what all that meant. 
But now at the beginning at verse seven this morning, John looks up and there's a bunch of these religious leaders, the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees, they're coming to him. And you would think that that would be something that John would welcome. I mean, I mean, what would happen if the president of the United States walked in here this morning or maybe the governor or maybe the president of our denomination, or, or, or maybe something like that. You would, you would think that, oh, these are people who can take my message back to the synagogues, and they can lead people the way that I know God has directed me to lead them. These are people who can help the cause. I, I think that would be kind of our natural inclination, right? What does John do? He yells at them, and he calls them names. Wouldn't you love to do that to some of our leaders? <laughs> and so John, John yells at them and he calls them names. You den of vipers. It's almost like, what are you doing here? It's like, you don't belong here. What are you doing here? Almost kind of that attitude of it. Why would he do that? Isn't that kind of weird? And so I can't help but to wonder if maybe, and I think the wording of the text, look very closely, it doesn't say that they're coming for baptism, but they are coming to his baptism. In other words, I don't think that they're really sincere here. I think what's happening is that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were always kind of haggling over each other to try to win the heart of the people. And they see this new religious fad that's happening in the wilderness and they go out there with the idea of, see, we're just like you. We're just like, we're just like all the people. We're just, we're just the normal folk. We're just the normal people coming in and, and we need to confess our sins too, just like you do. And so we're coming for baptism as well. I think that's what's happening here. And I think John is a prophet. He's seeing right through it and he's saying, you den of vipers, what are you doing here? You need to bear fruits in keeping with true repentance. You know, we can use religious practices and we can use traditions for selfish reasons, can't we? And I think if we're all honest, we, we do that. We all do that from time to time. You know, how, how many of us came to church this morning to be seen? How many of us, uh, the only time you pray is when you're called on to pray at church? How many of us use religious practices and things for our own selfish reasons? That's what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 1. Beware of practicing your righteous deeds in order to be seen by men. I think we all do that if we're honest. And so this morning, I want to challenge us. I want to, I want to challenge us with the same challenge that John the Baptist gave, that beloved, we must bear fruits of genuine repentance. We must bear fruits of genuine faith, of genuine repentance. And now, what fruits are we talking about here? And I, I think we could have a lot of different discussions. We could talk about the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter five. We could talk about fruits of service, uh, kind of the way Paul talks about fruits in different places where I, I hope to have fruit among you. We could talk about that. We could talk about the test of genuine faith that we see in John, uh, his first epistle. We could, we could talk about those things. 
But I think the fruits that we really wanna pay attention to this morning are the very beginning fruits that, that John is pointing out here to the religious leaders and by proxy and through inspiration, he is pointing out to us this morning as we read this text. And I think we're gonna see three fruits that characterize repentance, true, genuine repentance in this passage. And so let's, let's look at this beginning in verse nine with number one, true repentance. If it's going to be of genuine repentance, true repentance must forsake self-righteousness. It must forsake self-righteousness. Look what he says in verse nine. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance in verse eight. And then he follows that up in verse nine and says, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. He begins by telling them, look, do not presume to say that Abraham is your father. Every Jew, every Jewish teacher, and they taught every Jew in their synagogues, believed that they had a special place in God's program, a special place in God's favor, simply and solely because they were physically related to Abraham, because they were part of that Jewish tradition. In fact, uh, some of the writers of the time tell us that, uh, that every Israelite has a portion in the kingdom, in fact, some writer, uh, I think, I, I can't remember exactly where it was, but one writer even taught that there were guards over the pits of hell. And if a Jew just happened to wander there, he would catch them and throw them back to heaven. And so this was the kind of stuff that no matter what you did, no matter, no matter what kind of person you were, if you were an Israelite, you were guaranteed a place in God's kingdom simply and solely for being a Jew. And all there was left to do was simply to gain favor with him through the law, try to one-up each other. We see this in John chapter eight. Jesus is having this discussion with the religious leaders and, and over and over and over again, they just say, I think twice it is, there's like, we're Abraham's father or, or Abraham is our father. We have Abraham as a father. I mean, they just, they just assume this and they just, this was their presumption. Beloved, all self-righteousness is presumption. That's all it is. You're presuming upon the goodness of God. Every self-righteous thought is a presumption and it's testing God. And you know, it's really no different today, is it? I mean, people still do this, that you know, whatever group I belong to, my group identity, boy, are we seeing this today, aren't we? That I am righteous based upon the group that I belong to and everyone else needs to give favor to me. We're seeing that today. So it's really no different. There's nothing new under the sun. All heresies are old heresies. They're just, they just come out in new dresses. But it's all the same. And so what, is, what does John tell them in, in verse seven? He says, or excuse me, verse nine. He says, for I tell you that God is able to raise from these stones children to Abraham. Bless you. You're welcome. So God is able to take a stone and raise children to Abraham. Who do you think you are? 
That's kind of that's, that's humbling, isn't it? I mean, wouldn't that have been kind of right, uh, just right at the pride of these religious leaders? Listen, God can take a rock, and if you are unrepentant, if you are depending on your own self-righteousness, those rocks have a better chance of getting to heaven than you do. God can take a rock and make it a children of Abraham. Beloved, God can make a Baptist out of a rock. God can make a rock into a Republican or a Democrat. Our righteousness is not based on who we are or what we do or what group we belong to or any of that. It is all presumption to believe that anything within us makes us righteous before God. We must forsake self-righteousness. It, it kind of reminds me of this movie. Um, came out a few years ago. It had Russell Crowe as the lead and he was Noah. Do you guys remember this movie? Did you guys see this? You're not missing much. But I, I will say that, that how they did the flood and all the graphics and the ark floating in the flood, I mean, that was pretty cool, I will say. But there was this one part, and, and Roxanne and I, I remember this, we were watching it in the living room, and, and, uh, and you know, this band of thieves or something, they're coming to fight Noah and his family, and, and there's this big scene where, you know, uh, what are you gonna do? You're out here alone, and Noah says, I am not alone. And I thought, oh man, God's about to step in, this is gonna be great. And then what happens next? is that these rocks come alive and form these giant rock monsters and start fighting against, yeah, that's one of them right there. <laughs> I guess they're the Nephilim, the, the, the movie maker thought. I don't know. It was really weird. And, and Roxanne looked at me and she was like, I don't remember that in the Bible. <laughs> and I said, because it ain't there. <laughs> it's bad grammar, but it's good, it's good Bible. And so, and, uh, and, and I just looked at her and I said, that is ridiculous. And beloved, it's just as ridiculous to think that you can be righteous by your own works and by who you are. You might as well be one of those weird looking rock monsters up there. Because God can take a rock and make it into a Baptist. He can take a rock and make it into anything. But you must be made righteous through his son. We must forsake all self-righteousness, brothers and sisters, wherever we see it, wherever we see it. And this can be a little tricky because, because we don't, I don't think any of us really set out to say that I'm gonna be righteous in and of myself. I don't think we do that. And so sometimes we have a hard time seeing it. So, so let me just give you some application this morning, okay? Uh, something practical to take with you. How do we find where we are, areas of our life where we're self-righteous? Well, let me ask you this. What do you criticize? What, and I'm not talking about loving, constructive criticism from a heart of love that is trying to help someone who's struggling in an area. I'm not talking about that, but all of us know what it is like to have a critical spirit, do we not? And so the question is, what is it that awakens that critical spirit inside of you? What is it that about someone that, that causes you to be so critical toward them? I don't know about you, but in my own life, I tend to criticize people based on areas where I think that I am good. 
And I dare say that's probably true of all of us. And so oftentimes I will ask myself, what am I critical about? What is it that awakens in me a critical spirit? And that's often where I will find self-righteousness lurking in my heart. So beloved, when you find that, you must forsake it, forsake it all, wherever you find it. Why? Because of verse 10. True repentance must forsake self-righteousness because true repentance must fear God's judgment. True repentance must fear God's judgment. Look at verse uh, 10. He says, even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What's he talking about here? He says, even now, the ax is laid to the root of the tree. Every Jew would have understood this reference, every one of them. Because all throughout the Old Testament, the idea of an ax chopping down a tree is used as a symbol of judgment, both against other nations and against Israel as well. In fact, the nation of Assyria is even referred to as God's ax. And so all throughout the Old Testament, this is used as a symbol of judgment. But I think one that is specifically pertinent here is uh, the book of Daniel chapter four. And you may remember uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dreams, one of them. And he has this dream where he's this big, beautiful tree with all these wonderful leaves that are, that are reaching up to the height of heaven and, and all the different animals and all the different beasts are coming and finding shade under that tree. And it's, and it's a symbol of his kingdom. It's a symbol of his greatness. And then someone comes along and they chop down that tree down to a stump. And Nebuchadnezzar is bothered by this and he asked Daniel, he says, Daniel, what does this mean? And Daniel interprets the dream and basically tells him, you're about to be cut down. And sure enough, about a year later, Nebuchadnezzar is walking out. He says, look at my great kingdom. Look what I've done. And God strikes him down with an illness called boanthropy. You know what that is? It's when someone believes they're a cow and they crawl around in the grass and they eat grass and and all of that stuff. And Nebuchadnezzar did this for a, quite a while. Very rare disease, but it does happen. God struck him down with this because of his pride, because of his boasting. But even there, God says, I'm gonna take the ax and I'm gonna cut you down to a stump, meaning that he was going to be low to the ground. But I want you to notice the difference here is that John, when he tells the religious leaders this, he tells them that the ax is laid not to make a stump, but it is laid to the root of the tree. And everyone knows if you're gonna kill a tree, what have you gotta cut down? You gotta kill the roots. In other words, this is total destruction. This is total destruction. Uh, annihilation. It is absolute judgment to where the tree will not grow back. And it's, and it's imminent. Notice he says here, in fact, the way it's worded that, that, the tr- that the ax is laid to the root. In other words, God is not considering this. God is not contemplating this. No, the ax is sharpened. The edge is set. The fire is burning and God is about to swing. You are in imminent danger if you do not repent. 
imminent danger. This is not popular today. It's really not, but, but all throughout the Bible, we see that God, yes, he is a God of love, but he is also a God who judges And he is a God that we must have a holy fear of judgment. Look, for example, in Revelation chapter 20 for just a moment. Revelation 20, I have verse 15 on the board, but I want you to see verse, I want you to see the verse 13 and following. He says, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. In verse 15, beloved, please hear this. If anyone's name is not found in the Lamb's book of life, he was thrown into the fire. There is a lake of fire that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And if you choose their side, you will get their destination. If you choose to remain in your rebellion against God, you will end in this lake of fire. If you choose to trust in your own self-righteousness, you will end in this lake of fire I don't have this one on the board. I want you to see it. 2 Thessalonians chapter one. 2 Thessalonians chapter one. Paul says the same thing in verses 10. Excuse me, verses five through 10. He says, this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who inflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of his might, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Beloved, I understand that we're living in the 21st century. I understand we're all civilized. I understand that we are a nice people, but hell is still real. God's judgment is still real. And I know this is not popular today. People will say, oh, I choose to believe in a God of love. And a God of love will never do this to anyone. Beloved, if you don't understand judgment, then you have absolutely no idea what love is. You don't. You don't know love. You have no idea. You say, how can you say that? Because beloved, when we understand the severity of the judgment that is coming for our sin, then and only then will we begin to understand how bad our sin really is. And when we understand how bad and how depraved we really are, then we will understand the amazing grace of God's forgiveness 
over and over again. And beloved, when you experience the depths of God's forgiveness and you see that it goes deeper and deeper and deeper and no matter how depraved you get, you find that there is an infinite well of mercy for you, only then will you grow to understand that God is a God of love. If you don't believe in judgment, don't talk to me about a God of love. You don't know what love is. You will see the depth of God's love as you see the severity of judgment. I remember my testimony. I was saved when I was 15 years old. I was saved at a church camp in Bog Springs, Arkansas. I think it's actually Wicks, Arkansas, but the name of the camp is Bog Springs, Arkansas. But beloved, I can honestly tell you that I cannot remember a time in my life that I did not believe in God. I honestly can't. I can't tell you a time in my life that I did not believe in Jesus. I can't tell you a time in my life that I did not understand that, that I, am a, I am a sinner. And, and I can even remember times when I actually shared the gospel with a couple of my friends. Kind of, kind of weird. And they responded to it that way. But I can remember that. But see, I understood all that. I just didn't care. I didn't care. Because if the way I understood it was, was because if God is so forgiving, then I can do whatever I want and God has to forgive me because he's God and that's what he does. He's a God of love who won't punish anyone. That's, that's what I thought. And besides, all these people had done bad to me and God didn't punish them. So why can't I just do whatever I want? And God will be okay with me too. And it was only at that church camp, beloved, that I began to understand that not only was I a sinner, but that I was accountable to God for my sin, that there would be justice, there would be judgment, and I was guilty, and I was going to answer to God for my sin. And I began to understand the imminent danger that I was in, the imminent judgment that I was about to face. And I knew that if I died, I would spend eternity facing the judgment of God, eternal destruction, always dying, never dead. Facing wrath untold. And believe you me, when I began to understand that, grace started looking really good. And there was a love for God where there had been hatred, where there had been unconcern. There was a love for God that filled my soul in that moment when I began to understand that Jesus took that accountability and he faced that judgment so that I wouldn't have to. And I ran to the cross. I didn't walk, I didn't skip, I ran because I knew it was the only place where I was gonna find true love because I understood true justice. Beloved, true repentance must fear judgment. True repentance must fear judgment. At any time in your life, beloved, you are one breath away from eternity, from life or death from hell 
to, to heaven, from, from uh, being, uh, facing the wrath of God for all eternity to experiencing the love of God for all eternity. At any given point, you are one breath away. And when that breath is taken away from you, where are you gonna find yourself? Where are you gonna be when you close your eyes in death and open them to the truth of, spirit, of, the, of the spiritual life? Where are you going to be? Luke chapter 7, verse 47. I think this is pertinent. In fact, I think I got on the board. Jesus is telling, saying this about a, a harlot. He says, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Beloved, if we were to judge, if we were to evaluate the measure of your understanding of God's love this morning and compare it to how much you love, what would that say about your understanding of the forgiveness of God? How would we, how, what would we find? So true repentance must fear, judgment, and as we grow in daily confession to Christ, we will grow in the daily understanding of his love because we will experience deeper and deeper forgiveness and we will grow in that love for others for we have been forgiven much, more than we can imagine. And so we must love more than anyone can imagine. We must fear judgment. We were talking in a Sunday school. This isn't, I wouldn't plan on saying this, but I really can't, uh, really can't. We were talking about the holiness of God in Sunday school, and uh, I brought up a quote from C.S. Lewis from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when Lucy is talking with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And Lucy says, uh, uh, will I get to meet Aslan and and uh, Mrs. Beaver says that anyone who comes to Aslan, they under, they, they, if anyone comes to him and their knees are not knocking, then they are either braver than they should or they are just silly. And Lucy says, well, is Aslan quite safe then? And Mr. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Have you not heard a word that Mrs. Beaver has said? Aslan is a lion, he is not safe, but he is good. He's the king, and he is good. Beloved, is your God too safe? My God was before I got saved. My God was very safe. Beloved, God is not safe, but he is good. He's the king. And he is good. And therefore, true repentance will flee to Jesus Christ. True repentance will flee to Jesus. Look what he says at the end of our verses in verses 11 and 12. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John's, you see, John's baptism was just a temporary measure. 
It was just a temporary preparation to let people know that the king is coming and that the time has come to repent. And baptism for John was a symbol of that confession of sins. It was a symbol of that cleansing and and preparing the way for the king to come. But John understood his place in redemptive history and he understood that he was not the one who was to come, but he was there to point them and to prepare them for the king who was coming, for the king who is coming. John recognized that there is one who is coming that will be able to do for you what nothing else and no one else will be able to do. I only baptize you with water. The one who is coming after me, oh, he is so mighty. I am not even worthy to untie his sandals. The one who is coming, he will baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. A lot of debate over what he means there and Spirit and fire, what's he talking about? Some people will say that he's baptizing you with the Holy Spirit and and then at Pentecost, he baptized them with fire when the tongues of fire came down. Some people say that. Some people say that fire is kind of the second blessing. It's the, it's the, it's the fire of God's zeal, you know, and you'll, you'll, see a lot of, you'll see a lot of people talking about fire today and they'll, they'll do stuff like that and knock you down and, and that kind of stuff. I think the text kind of makes it clear what he's talking about though. In verse 12, look what he says. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. That's the baptism of the spirit. But the chaff, he will burn with unquenchable fire. That's the baptism with fire. In other words, everybody in here, you will either be baptized by the Holy Spirit or you will be baptized with the fires of hell. And whichever one it is, The one who came, the one who is mightier than John, he is the one who has come to offer you the Holy Spirit, to offer you life. And the determining factor will be whether or not you truly, genuinely repent. The question will be whether you place your faith in Jesus Christ alone Forsake your self-righteousness. Forsake anything that you think makes you right with God in and of yourself. And then flee to Christ alone for your salvation. That is the determining factor of whether you will be baptized with the Spirit or whether you will be baptized with fire. There's an interesting quote from a book. It's a book called Suburbianity. And it's talking about the conveniences of our culture. And, and here's what the author said. He says, it's hard to feel any real need for rescue when your residence comes complete with a sense of personal accomplishment. There's no impulse of desperation with all this convenience at our disposal. He goes on, quote, Jesus becomes an evidence of our civility. In other words, decent people love Jesus rather than a sacrifice for our rebellion against a holy God. God should be capitalized, I'm sorry. In other words, sick people flee to Jesus. Beloved, this morning, I need to ask you this. Do you regard your love for Jesus as an evidence of your decency, of your civility, 
of, of your moral uprightness? Or do you regard your love for Jesus this morning as a sign of your desperation because you were a sinner bound for hell and Jesus has saved your soul? Which one are you? Is your love for Jesus an evidence of your decency? Or is it an evidence of your dependency? Beloved, flee to Jesus. If you're not sick, you don't go to the hospital. Beloved, we are all sick. And this church is not a museum for saints. We are a hospital for sinners to come and find the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Do you love him much because you know you've been forgiven much? Is your love for him growing? Is your understanding of your own depravity growing? Are you understanding your need for repentance? Are you bearing these fruits, beloved? Are, are you forsaking self-righteousness? Are you fearing judgment of sin? Have you fled to Jesus for rescue? Beloved, what self-righteousness is holding you back? What is it? What are you holding on to? What is causing your love for Christ to grow cold? What is causing your love for Christ to diminish? What has robbed you of your passion for him? What has, what has caused, what has robbed you of your love for him? What has robbed you of your worship for him? What is more important to you than Christ and him crucified and the worship of God who has saved your soul? What is robbing you of your passion? What self-righteousness are you holding on to? And what is preventing you from, from full trust and full dependence upon Jesus Christ for your righteousness? And if you're here this morning and you're lost, beloved, do not waste another breath. Flee to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Don't wait another second. Don't worry about your reputation. Don't have a fear of looking desperate. There is a hell to escape and there is a savior who is waiting to save you. And we are all desperate sinners, fully dependent on his grace. There's a salvation to gain. There's a savior who is ready to rescue your soul from hell. Don't waste another breath. Don't waste another day. Get this right. Come to Christ. Flee to him. Repent of your sin. And come to Jesus Christ in full faith. And find the forgiveness of sin is more than adequate. More than rich. It's everything you need. Our Father, we thank you for this wonderful truth, Lord. We thank you for the courage of John to speak these words to people who undoubtedly did not hear them. And Father, I pray this morning that we would not be like the religious leaders. I pray that we would understand that the baptism from John, it came from heaven. And we understand that he, is, he was a prophet and he was preparing our hearts 
for your arrival. Lord, if there's one here this morning who is not bearing the fruits of repentance discussed this morning, Lord, they are not forsaking their their self-righteousness. They are not fearing God's judgment. And they're not fleeing to you in desperation, Lord, for rescue. I pray that this morning will be the morning that you would draw them to yourself. May they come and may they experience full grace and forgiveness for their sins. And Lord, this morning as we are examining our hearts, may we examine and see where any self-righteousness may be lurking in our hearts. And wherever it is, Lord, may we repent of it. May we forsake it. May we fear your judgment of it. And may we flee to you for righteous cleansing so that we can have the passion so that we will love you passionately, unwaveringly, that we would not veer to the right or left, but that we would pursue you with all of our hearts. May that be our prayer this morning. I wanna ask you to stand with your heads bowed for just a moment. I'm gonna ask Ms. Merlin to play for just a a few seconds. And I am gonna ask if you will just consider what has been said this morning and put your own soul through those tests. What am I, what is it that I am critical of? What is it that rises, that awakens a heart of self-righteousness within me? What do I see in other people that I criticize? Is that evidence of self-righteousness that may be lurking in your heart? If it is, will you repent of it? For God says, for what, by what standard you judge others, you will be judged. Will you fear? And will you flee to Jesus? Find full forgiveness. He will cleanse you. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, I invite you to come forward. If you're here and you want to be prayed for, I invite you to come forward. Don't be shy. We're all desperate, depraved sinners in need of God's grace. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to go to a trusted friend and pray with them. You can do that. Whatever you need. Jesus, I come.